And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Mythbits. You made an excellent choice. Welcome to the World of Mythbits. We are your hosts, Jenna and Joe Sparks, and this is episode 122. Welcome. The World of Mythbits. Welcome to the world of Mythbit. I have a little bit of news to update you with, and I'm very honored to announce that as of now, <laughs> we are now taking pitches for the third annual open contract challenge. So if anyone has a product that can be published, we want them to enter. So that's novels, novellas, novelettes, graphic novels, art books, poetry books, whatever it is, we want it. Uh, So go to the brand new site at www.opencontractchallenge.com. The website looks great. Um, And yeah, I'm really excited for this new venture of the many, many mediums that are submittable. So last week... Our entire episode was centered around the notion of vilifying characters and the reality of that in in reality. And we had kind of proposed this concept of one of Joe's projects, a character who um, cheated on their partner, and we wanted to talk about the way... um, Basically, delivering that concept would immediately make that character seem like a villain in order to humanize her. Really, we see it so regularly tackled that the reason she she cheated was based off of like trauma. You know, that's the only way it's acceptable for her to have have acted out in that way. And so that was pretty much what we, in a nutshell, what we talked about last week. And after we we wrapped, we both kind of kept going and we, we kind of kept discussing um, how it's actually a really broad topic. And I have new information on that, by the way. Apparently, it's not the act that is mostly in, in, in I want to say it's the main consensus of everyone, but the majority of people who... Uh, have been the victim of such betrayal. That's what it is, is betrayal because it wasn't talked about. It was the selfish act, and it wasn't talked about. It's not normally the act that upsets people. It's not being involved within the decision to do so. What do you think about that? I mean, I can grasp that because I've met um, people who are like in open relationships and or who are uh, polyamorous and the biggest thing is being involved in in those decisions about who uh, essentially is allowed to enter these spaces and so it's 
ever, it's an involved party. Right, because you have boundaries set, right? Exactly. So you have rules to this system, mm-hmm. right? So if you break an unwritten rule, you're still breaking the rule yeah. is from Which, the mind. Let's be real. I mean, technically, I think adultery, I will have to fact check this so people take it with a grain of salt, please, um, is illegal probably still in places. Um, I know in the 50s and 60s, I know even seeking like a divorce, you had to, I mean, like there were only so many ways you were able to get a divorce and you had to have proof. Like you couldn't just get a divorce, you know, because you guys didn't get along or you had rushed into it. You had to have the proof of an affair or adultery or something like that. Um, Anyway, point being, fairly certain it's safe to say that, again, adultery is probably still illegal in many places, but has been illegal and morally uh, challenged as law up until recently. I'm going to fact check that so I can come at it from a... Okay, so I pulled it up. So the Philippines... Uh, Indonesia, Sharia, Taiwan, there's so many. In South Dakota, uh, laws allow a married person who's cheated, who is cheated on to sue the other um, with whom their partner has had an affair. So there's, I mean, like to go into the whole thing, there's a lot. So yeah, it's still actually held up by law, adultery. So when you dictate morality by law and law dictated by typically religion, uh, it gets into some, some really weird territory. There's a lot of, of interesting <laughs> laws that are still in place from many years ago. Anyway, um, jumping off point, the point is there, there was a lot to that conversation I think that we still kind of want to go into in the vilifying villainizing people and characters and and the correlation between reality and everything because there's there's a lot that I'm seeing and witnessing and and have some some takes on some hot takes well absolutely for research for this particular project I have currently invested in a book that deals with trauma and the opportunity, quote-unquote, it would seem to transcend through the sexist, races, and classism. So I'm reading a lot on psychology and whatnot before I can actually put her into a certain mindset to be able to deal with these things, right? Whether it's going to be compassion for others or self-compassion, you know, um, to where she she's able to transcend and then learn these things or she's able to reflect. Or, you know, it, it's just a whole, whole thing I wanted to present with her. So, that's going to be enough on her because it is going to be a good ride. <laughs> However, uh, one thing that did come about into my research was this brings Lana Del Rey to mind You know, I think I was reading something, I can't exactly remember where, but she was criticized about her music career and her dad had paid for her way through music 
or something like that. I can't remember where I was at, so please don't quote me on it. However, when somebody hits a deal, there's such a thing as having to team up with professional songwriters to make these albums, you know. Um, in, in uh, I believe in Sarah Borelli's book, uh, Sounds Like Me, she states that she was signed to her first record deal, but she needed to write songs with a professional. But beside the point, her latest album, Kim Trails Over the Country Club, is a beautiful exploration into the mind, specifically the song's white dress, and Dance Till We Die, to come to mind, mm-hmm. you know. Um, specifically about, uh, what was it, oh, two minutes, 45 seconds in on that one to where it transitions. And it's just the, the most beautiful transition I've heard in a long time. No. Yeah. But back to Sarah Borelli's too, you should check out her latest album was Amidst the Chaos, right? That one is a beautiful album. Probably one of the most important musicians of our generation. That's right. That goes with my pumpkin spice latte right now. <laughs> That's okay. As we have pumpkin spice uh, wax warmers on right now that you bought today. <laughs> okay, so yep. So what does that have to do with uh, vilifying or villainizing? That just because of, like the villainizing of Lana Del Rey, and that was like the rumor mill that they threw out about her pops because of the classism involved in her music say gotcha say that she had an easier ride into the music world because of cash flow you know but then we kind of put to the back burner of ideas and things that could have happened i remember when we were kids and the movie uh, what was it richie rich Remember that one? Mm-hmm. And then uh, he didn't have any friends and his pasta was always busy, right? <laughs> I think, like, they were trying to present these ideas in movies like that, but it just didn't hit for us. Mm-mm. You know? I think that was what that was about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, with the Lana Del Rey and, and I mean, <laughs> a lot of a lot of women artists, um, is people will be very fast to immediately uh, villainize women in general. You know, um, I know a big conversation that's happening right now is the uh, eight women who were murdered in Georgia this past week. The, The shooter was somebody who villainized them. He says he was trying to ward off temptation. Of these women, uh, most of whom were Asian American women, and um, temptation of what? Sexual temptation. He he really came from a really um, what do you call it? Uh, pu- purity teachings where you know it's like you you have to fend off temptation, et cetera, et cetera. That's a whole thing. Um, I implore everybody, as always, to. Do some research to um, read up. It's a it's a pretty big deal. The point is, we are in really divisive times, and if you really think about it, it's a very interesting point in history. But living in these <laughs> divisive times, um, and realistically, I mean, times have always been divisive. I don't think there's really ever been a point in history 
that hasn't been really divisive. And it's a tool, you know, and it's a tool used to vilify people because the minute you start vilifying people, you can more easily find uh, the, the minute we start vilifying people, groups of people, et cetera, et cetera, the minute we can uh, we we stop actually having evolutionary conversations, right? And unfortunately, with that kind of partners this, what you tell me all the time is it's gonna take work. It takes emotional work. And we do a lot of back and forth and a lot of conversations between us about things that we see or hear or read, et cetera, et cetera, and how important it is to understand where our biases are coming from. You know, it's it's interesting because, you know, it's been brought up between us in personal conversation how our own traumas really dictate the narrative of who we're going to villainize. You know, um, on a personal scope, it took me many years to kind of discover the origin of my insecurities regarding a trauma when I was young and trying to figure out who's to blame. Who can I point the finger at and say it's your fault? For a long time, it was me. I pointed the finger at myself. Then it was pointing the finger at the actual victim. And then it was time. It it just, it's been a very long understanding. And ultimately, I still don't know. I still don't know, even if there's a culprit to blame for that trauma. You know what I mean? And so that's kind of what what I think we mean at the end of the day when we say doing the work and trying to figure out because because at the end of the day, I keep saying that, because if you don't have a specific target for that blame to make a bad guy out of that target, it's really hard to kind of face the reality that things are just sometimes inexplainable, that sometimes there's just not a causation that comes from a single person or perpetuate, you know, perpetuative instigator. That is, I think, where this discussion kind of really tackles, you know, and and again, we're talking what started this conversation was the story, the, the story you're writing about the adultery, et cetera, et cetera. And that kind of leads into this deeper pull for comprehension of why, you know? Well, do you remember that book I brought up a couple weeks ago, Coddling of the American Mind? Yes. Okay, so within those pages, he describes that as a uh, tactic called the uh, good versus evil, right? So if you're always trying to villainize Instead of pointing the finger somewhere, such as if you were to say, okay, you have this trauma and you're trying to point the finger at somebody or something. And then if you were to come to the assumption that these things just happen sometimes, um, there are causations for everything. 
Exactly. Know? There's and, there's a cause and effect. I, I yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you you could point fingers anywhere you know that they would like, but it seems like it seems like sometimes too, like all the finger pointing is is the uh, is the real issue because if you're not really focused on a true and correct solution instead of the problems, mm-hmm. I think that's where everybody gets caught up at. Yeah. Yeah. You, you want that, that, like I said, that target, you want that definition of, I mean, it, it, and that's happened forever. <laughs> you know, I mean, even looking back at like, I mean, we can talk about Columbine and I'm not going to say he, he, who shall not be named, but I mean, look at, uh, you know, music and video games that were the target, the scapegoat for these people enacting a really horrible, horrible, horrible crime. And there is a causation. There is something that occurred that gave these murderers reason to enact this violence but we're missing the whole picture if we're just looking at one little thing and saying oh it was the video it was the violent video game or it was i mean like i think it has a lot to do with human causation of the brain say if you had a simple you have a simple input and a simple output take the <laughs> take theology for example if you have a simple output through theology then you accept it, and this is it, and you move on. Mm-hmm. So I think, right, <laughs> I think that all the finger pointing comes to be able to create a temporary, if not, I mean, let's not be, let's not be, uh, you can't have a permanent solution to anything because everything is always evolving, mm-hmm. right? So and that's find, kind of the point. That's the point of society, right? Yeah, so, to constantly evolve. So, uh, to find a temporary solution, though, to put minds at ease, they have presented information. Mm-hmm. You know, say that violent video games are the culprit, or you know, high-powered rifles are the culprit, or you know, there's too many guns out there, and that's the culprit. You know, yeah, it's like you're gonna point to the left or point to the right, and you're gonna point in either direction and say, "Well, this is it," and then it will ease the mind. Yeah. For now, right? Until there's another new thing that comes along, you know. That's always been a big debate, though. They have multiple works of literature and movies and music about what is going to stop the violence. Well, and I mean, like, there's obviously culprits. There are, I mean, obviously things that that really dictate the uh, uh, culture that manifests such violence you know if you look at most of it tends to be white supremacy white privilege etc etc that really does most of the damage the violent damage um but most people really aren't ready for that conversation that's kind of something else we need to normalize are having those conversations and discussing why and that comes back to the trauma that comes back to why are you unwilling to have those conversations is it absolute denial is it something you genuinely believe doesn't exist because it does it's there and we're not talking about like white guilt or anything like that we're talking about actual responsibility 
to the world. You know, we have this power and we've always had this power to elicit shifts and change. And that's what I mean with this this need that we've always had to point that finger to, like you were saying, point it left, point it right, point it up, point it down, point it somewhere. So then we talk about how bad they are, but not about how we've allowed things to become or how we've allowed this to manifest and how it's manifested and how we can change it. Because that's one thing I'm seeing really regularly is how staunch people are to like forego this concept of change and evolution, even though it's, it's like an annual thing where something gets figured out. We, we kind of understand something new that we didn't understand 10 years ago, 15, 30, 60, a hundred years ago, you know, you had look at radium 120 years ago. It was the bee's knees, man. And within 30 years, it was like, this is not the bee's knees, man. This is what's murdering people. We should probably not use it so casually. And obviously, we evolved to understand uh, radiation therapies better, uh, how to utilize radium, which is a very interesting chemical or compound. What I feel is going on, really. I feel like it's because we have a lot of social changes that are happening. Mm-hmm. That it's they're they're so focused upon it because of the, how the last generation was focused upon social events, right? Mm-hmm. And then all and the this, generation before them too. Yeah, and it, absolutely, and it, and it goes back before like, because everything happens generationally, yeah. and you got to change it a little bit, a little better with every generation, right? Well, that's why even, like, with feminism, there's multiple waves of it. Oh, right. Because it's always, like, you know, we had the suffragettes, then we had uh, the second wave, and then now we're, like, in the right. third and fourth. Like, there's always... But imagine always... this, though. <laughs> imagine this. Do you remember when we were kids, and you remember the first computer that came out? Remember this big clunky thing, and the, the drives were the size of CD, well, yeah. CDs, right? <laughs> You know, and it was the floppy disk, and you put it in there, and, you know, somebody listening right now is, I remember the computers that took up the size of a room. <laughs> See, it's just a generational thing. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you call that a computer. So. <laughs> in my day. No, but uh, imagine, because technology has advanced so rapidly mm-hmm. through the last, what, 30, couple years. I mean, years. yeah. None of this was even expected. The big problem is, imagine if all that effort was actually put into the social issues at hand. Mm-hmm. You know, depending where you took your, your focus, you know. Science, science even uh, progressed so rapidly for many years now because, I mean, think about it. It, was, it wasn't so much that, I mean, you have, you have minds out there. That are so, you have minds out there that are so skeptical and creative and want to find answers for these questions that just bounce around in their heads, you know. But they're sometimes bogged down, you know, 
by social issues. And constraints. I mean, look how we got the atom bomb. Look how the microwave came into existence. It mm-hmm. wasn't for cooking food, buddy. <laughs> you know, uh, well. well yeah. like even yeah. Viagra. Wasn't Viagra used for like migraines or something like that? Or I can't remember. But it well, was used not, for something well, totally different. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not about that. It's like they, during these, these points of war, you know, these most prominent technological advances of our everyday appliances came about from war mm-hmm. and it goes back to the book to where he said well you don't need so many warheads until this guy has more than you you mm-hmm. know blows you out of the water but i guess that's just a utopian type of mentality right there i guess yeah and I, I mean like on the, the the same side of the coin you know with what you just said you don't need uh this many warheads until the guy next to you has you know more um I also think there's this, like, competition to, um... Well, yeah, I mean, look at the space race. Well, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about, like, just this... And and I, I think we're kind of coming full circle here because I know this is something we breached many, many episodes ago. It was this, like, weird competition that, that we're, like, unwillingly a part of. Well, look... Let me look at it. Like, Musk. You have Musk and you have Bezos. Now, Bezos got into the into the Mars travel war he didn't get in there because he wanted to he no. got in there because it's now a competition against musk yeah. dude. you know yeah so now he's competing against musk to be the first out to mars mm-hmm. that's also speculative you know we don't know bezos he might have a hard goal what's the best for everybody that is where that's the speculative problem that we're having right now is because even though we we speculate over bezos and and, and musk and everything you know i'm a big fan Big fan of Musk. No, but I'm saying like even even those sentiments like over Bezos and Musk and then uh, who's that other guy? Virgin Airlines guy. Mm. What's he? Who is he? Mm, I can't think of it. Sir Richard something. Think about this speculative conversation we're having over Bezos and, and Musk over the, the technology advancement because Musk is advancing his, his spaceships to get to mars you know and it's because he has a firmly held belief that we have to get off this planet because it is not sustainable anymore i mean look how many individuals there are on this planet and the resources we'd have a real problem you know numbers wise or would we that's a good question how many people do you think existed but not even i mean with with like technological advancement and all of that but there's i mean like with with us civilians with us you know normies (laughs) there's there's this uh internalized competition and i mean you see like these generational wars you know each generation gets so threatened or angry at uh their predecessing or successive generations Instead of looking back, like um, like I said, you look at, at every generation and there were really divisive issues. You can go back to the dawn of time and there were really divisive issues. So this, this whole thing we're enduring right now, it's not new. I think we're kind of reconciling that and we're trying to figure out, like I said, 
keep going back to the finger pointing and, and who to blame. You know, there's millennials who will, you know, point at, at baby boomers or baby boomers who point their fingers at millennials and, you know, oh, you and your avocado toast or whatever. The, it's delicious. <laughs> it is. Uh, <laughs> hey, man, you, you get a little avocado. Put a little garlic powder in there, baby. You smash it up a little bit, huh? Get a little tomato. tomato. <laughs> a slice on top. Some wheat bread. What? It's delicious. I prefer rye. <laughs> but the point is, you know, every generation wants to blame another generation. When I think the funniest argument, and I, I kind of say this a lot, like, privately, is the generation before us blames us for so many issues, Oh, you know, cancel culture, blah, 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 uh, which cancel culture has, has always existed. Remember when they would actually murder you to cancel you? <laughs> like, that was kind of a thing. Uh, but yeah, that's always been a thing. I think what's well, funny is... If you kind of think about that, dude, like, what if Pepe Le Pew was actually, like, shown and charged for certain criminal activities that would be hilarious no i mean like you think about it like if the acts are shown in videotape right so if the acts are shown he's obviously guilty right <laughs> so in a criminal court case <laughs> svu right so in, a, in a criminal oh court case then that means that he indeed sexually harassed that cat <sighs> right so now he needs to be held accountable. <laughs> <laughs> also, I really want to clear something up really quick because like the fact that, that I've expended any any energy at all on this, the fact that like apparently there's Pepe Le Pew is not canceled. Um it Okay, let me explain it really quick. Because the information is out there. Just put the disclaimer in here. We're the millennials, so we're, we're the millennials eating the popcorn while watching. You know, exactly. We're the watch, ones. Watch I, should, the I sent you that, that TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, we're watching, watching <laughs> these other generations go after each other because we're no. Uh, with Pepe Le Pew, um, all that happened was there. There was a scene that was put into the original script featuring Pepe Le Pew. In 2019, there was a change in directors. The new director said, eh, I'm going to actually not film this scene. I'm going to write around it, blah, blah, blah. About a year later, year and a half later, that's when the article came out based, which actually kind of centered itself around an old Dave Chappelle joke where he actually put the whole Pepe Le Pew thing on blast like 10, 15 years ago. And so the article came out and that's where this like weird concept came out that Pepe Le Pew is being canceled, but he's not, it, it's not a thing. Um, unfortunately it's again, a tool to kind of try to divide people and create this weird competition, I guess that kind of goes full circle right so there. This Heck yeah. Well, this conversation is obviously for the generation after generation z when they grow up yeah because they will come across a tome of this great philosopher that... that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna yep i'm gonna write this no they're gonna, gonna they're transfer. going to uh have a great tome of a great philosopher 
and I can just see them. They go in, you know, they see a bookshelf, and they're like, what is this? What is this thing I must open? So they go in, and they see this book upon this bookshelf in this old abandoned library building. It's covered with dust. They hold it upon their hands, and they do the little blow to blow that dust off that puppy. And you got Dave Chappelle, a little Dave Chappelle face right there, because he predicted. <laughs> he did. He predicted many a things in his true-to-life philosophy. He may be telling jokes. Is it really a philosophical undertone to everything that he says? Right? Could be. I think comedy. Look at Lenny <laughs> what, Bruce. What, what, what do we say? He's like. F your couch. And he put upon his boots upon the couch. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think that's kind of one of the greatest things about comedy is it is. It, most comedy, the greatest comedy, is super socially relevant. You know, you look at Lenny Bruce, who was a monumental figure in comedy, but not just commentary or comedy in social commentary. And he turned it in. He did what people are trying to do now in opening these these expansive conversations, essentially be damned with the with the repercussions and consequences. But he put it out there. He really, really put it out there. And then, you know, George Carlin and, I mean, like, you you look at a lot of this comedy. You know, Dave Chappelle, you know, I'm a little knee because of his transphobic jokes. But whatever. It is what it is. We all say stuff. But I think, you know, comedy is super progressive in that way. Um, at least some of the more socially relevant conversations but but jumping back jump jumping back to this like competition thing there's it's so weird because and I think you know I I think it comes with this like vulnerability nobody wants to be vulnerable but we are and and I think every every person's going to go through it through their life without realizing how vulnerable their generation is because suddenly you know you're you're realizing the flaws you're realizing oh maybe the way I grew up wasn't you know I know that looking back like when I was growing up I'm like oh you know like uh, yeah ooh. and so we're trying to kind of fix upon that and grow from that kind of like you know talking about like the the multiple waves of like feminism and stuff like that and it's just about progression and wanting to do better oh yeah that was kind of the butt of my joke that I never got to finish uh the generation before us gets so mad at the generation after them and they forget that they're the ones who raise that generation (laughs) so that's that's my 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 progressive and transformative social commentary comedy boom uh (laughs) but okay going back competition like i said where where does the idea of being competitive come from it comes from being feeling insecure right you know you think of job markets you think of living in general you know how we're we're constantly placed in this moving competition and pitted against each other it, it nobody asked to be put in this stupid competition that makes no sense when all of our problems are man made and don't even need to be problems. Like, we could fix them. We could eradicate all these stupid, stupid problems if we could just kind of comprehend why we even let them become problems and how we were very complicit in them being 
becoming problems. You know what I mean? The point is this competitive flair, I think, really, really does um, add a lot to that kind of like trying to villainize people. Because obviously, if you humanize somebody, if you look at the person next to you, if you look at the, if you look at the artist next to you, and I'm going to say this like from my experience, if I see there's an artist next to me and their work is magnificent and we're both trying to get into the same gallery or whatever, I'm probably going to feel quite inferior to their work. They might look at my stuff and feel quite inferior to that. Suddenly we're in competition. So I'm going to look at them, especially if they get in the show. Oh, well, because of them, I didn't get into the show. If they hadn't been here, I probably would have gotten accepted into that show. Right? So it's like this immediate villain vilifying of a person for just existing, as opposed to actually kind of realizing that they probably had the exact same thought process that I did. It's it's just weird. I feel they would have the same thought process, you know. Um, what you should feel is feeling good about your artwork. Now, if you don't feel good about the artwork and you don't have a hundred percent, you don't have a hundred percent confidence in it. You know, how could you better better that art? Yeah. You know, that's. I think that's where the. I think that's where they're gonna throw the competition into the real spectrum, and that's what they're they're playing on. Mm-hmm. But. That doesn't change the fact that there's only one spot, does it? Well, okay, here's something that's really funny. So um, I have a friend, Melissa, and she makes beautiful art, gorgeous art. What year is it? I don't remember. Last year, year before that, 2019, 10 years ago, I don't know anymore. Within recent history, it's so funny because like before we started really talking, um, I had, I had had her like on this pedestal, you know, I was just like, oh my God, she's so amazing. She's so talented. When I got involved in one convention, she was there and, and me and my other friend, Victoria, we were like, oh my, we're going to go meet her. We're going to go see her stuff up close and personal. Like that was one of the biggest highlights of doing that con- convention was getting to see her work up close and personal. It's kind of funny because like we've been following each other and kind of, you know, maintaining like a little bit of a little bit of, of conversation. But then recently we really started talking and we started talking about possibly actually just working together. And I was like, what? You want to work with me? And she was like, yeah, you would want to work with me. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, huh? Ultimately discovering we were both like just completely flabbergasted. And had, like, kept ourselves so minimal in our confidence that, like, both of us were, like, because I was, like, oh, well, I figured because you're so great and amazing, you wouldn't want to work with me. And she, you know, well, yeah, I mean, like, I love your work and I can't believe you'd want to work with me. And it's just, like, it's so funny. So that competition doesn't need to be there. (laughs) Like, it doesn't. And it's it feels so good when it's not there. Don't worry, fam. I got you. I got your 90s. I got your 90s television show for that because you're going to have two artists and they come and they meet and they they know each other. But they come and they meet and they're like, whoa, 
you want to work with me? No way, bro. <laughs> I wanted to work with you for the longest time. <laughs> Whack, here comes the electric guitar. And roll intro. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I would, I would watch the heck out of that. So I guess ultimately what I'm trying to get at in, in this episode uh, is the... Act of vilifying, the act of villainizing, the act of pointing the fingers. Who's to say who's actually in charge of deciding who's the villain in that act? Uh, We see it time and time again, and it's such a boring trope of pitting women against women for stupid reasons. Uh, Typically, historically, it's been because of a man romance blah 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 um but now things are moving and now we're actually seeing like interesting stories and interesting takes on reasons you know for instances of being pitted against each other the media you see it all the time and it's just really really ridiculous stuff and i think it kind of goes to say it's like like i said earlier um Trying to understanding or trying to understand why we're vilifying something. Is it like this? This it, where does it come from? Does it come from the insecurity? Does it come from the, the the competitive nature? Does competitive nature come from insecurity? Does the insecurity come from the competitive nature? And you know these these huge 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 conversations that, like I said, aren't easy to have. You know, for any sort of progress to be made, we have to be uncomfortable. We have to be a little uncomfortable. It's kind of our duty in this place and point in time for the future generations because I think everybody can agree we want things to be better, right? Like, we want things to be better for our kids, for, for the future generations, however long they have on this planet that is very quickly perishing um so we have to we have to make those those efforts and it's exhausting and it's hard and it's not easy and again comes down to addressing the idea of the villains why we we write villains the way we do and where that comes from you can find us at theworldofmyth.com on Facebook and the Twitter at the World of Myth Bits Podcast and the World of Myth Magazine and on Instagram at the World of Myth Bits. Thank you for listening. Until next time. The world of Myth Bitch. Big fan of this.